maybe the trick is starting it later because there was no glitches at all. Every sports fan has an opinion. Well, these are ours. Ours. Welcome to Brock and Pep's unsportsmanlike convo. And here are your hosts, Brock Fleming and Pep Cariotti. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is Friday, November 29th. Happy Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving to our American listeners and you, Pep. Hey, thanks, man. Uh, yeah, Thanksgiving was, uh, I, I usually take a, either a half day on American Thanksgiving, and it's usually like a half day of a holiday to uh, c- come home and catch some of the football. The Lions typically play first, eh, Brock? It's usually the Lions yep. and the Cowboys every every Thanksgiving. And the Lions clearly have not been a very good team for, I don't remember the last time they had a, re- a really, you know, um, a team that can contend. So I get home from the Cowboys game typically. Well, uh, I used to be on a, uh, a bi-yearly schedule where every second year I would be down in Detroit with uh, my quote-unquote American family. So the uh, uh, the Rowdens and Schenectadys, uh, it's uh, my old roommate from Colgate, Ben Rowden. Um, yeah, we were roommates for years, still one of my best friends. And it would be an excuse to get to, uh, to see him, and we'd go down there and either catch a Lions game or every second year they he hosted or, like, the, his family hosted, like, this huge meal. And it was – you're just immersed in the American Thanksgiving traditions – from you know Wednesday night, you you go out to, um, you know the Thursday morning kind of waking up early and doing something, whether it's with you know their buddies and you have you know football games or something, and then everybody gets together and they watch the three football games, they gorge on a huge meal, and then uh, turducken. <laughs> no, there's no turducken. It was straight turkey and all the fixins. Um, and then, you know, around midnight, you go out shopping. <laughs> it's crazy. It is crazy. It's oh, yeah, absolutely it's Black, crazy. Black Friday, right? Yeah. I really, I wish we had the same Thanksgiving. I know there's, there's differences as to why we're celebrating, but it's, I don't know. I feel like the, the loser kid in the outskirts of the, the school dance and everybody's having a good time looking down there and saying, oh, you guys are having so much fun down there. Everybody's eating, everybody's <laughs> shopping, there's football on, and nobody has to work on the Friday or Thursday. I just, uh, I want to be part of that. Well, we have, I think ours is, ours is earlier and the weather's still sort of semi not depressing. So it's there's a lot to be thankful for. It's cozier weather in the states. I, I I always it's a countdown to Christmas whenever there's American Thanksgiving. So I I look forward to the football games and it's what officially the three quarter mark of the NFL season. So the games oh, yeah. actually mean something. And I'm well, not I'm not real big on that last game though. They should cut the last game out. I don't. It was a it was this year's one is was boring. Very. Um, you know, I love I love the football days, but I just didn't. Uh, I wasn't into that last game last night. I was too. T- I was tired. Number one, but uh, did you watch it? I it was awful. Nope. Uh, I ended up at a uh, uh, a high school play. I guess a high school. It was a high school musical that was uh, Angie's school. I had it, and it was at the uh, Centerpoint Theater, so you know, a decent sized theater. And anyway, we ended up watching that. 
uh, last night with the kids and my in-laws, and they put on a really good show. But yeah, and it was probably more entertaining than the Saints Falcons game, to be honest. But I agree with you. There should there's really no need for the third game because people who are doing the Thanksgiving, you have the afternoon games. You've kind of eaten by then, and then most people are either going out or they're uh, going shopping or they're passed out in a Thanksgiving feast coma. So, <laughs> but I guess, is there a time difference yeah. in New Orleans? I think there is a time difference in New Orleans. So, you know, it is a bit earlier for them, I guess. You know, it's like, a, it, it's like a West Coast game, right? A West Coast would have it at well, it was in Atlanta. But it's, was it in Atlanta? Yeah. Well, that doesn't change the fact that there's a time difference in New Orleans. But anyway, yes, it's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that game uh, uh, in the next uh, in our segment, the second segment on today's show. But uh, I will. I did. I did watch it. It was it was really hard to watch. Uh, I now I know why Atlanta's three and nine uh, or three and ten now. No, three and nine. Now I know exactly why. I did. I haven't watched a single minute of the, any of their games this year. I watched what they what they are last night in those beautiful Deion Sanders black uniforms, but they stink. Anyways, we'll we'll get to that in the next segment. Nice. Well, shout out again. Happy Thanksgiving to our American listeners. I was going through our uh, account to see where people are listening from, and uh, we got a lot: uh, Virginia, Oregon, Ohio. Some of these I feel bad because I I trash some of their teams. Um, but, uh, California, Michigan, New Jersey, South Carolina, Maryland, Washington, New York, Louisiana, Hawaii, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, North Carolina, Connecticut, Colorado, Texas, all over the place. These are awesome. some of our listeners. These are our listeners. These are where our listeners are coming from. It would be pretty cool actually, if they would, uh, I'd love to hear from one of them. Hey, if, of them. if you hey. are in one of those cities that Brock just, tra- just named and, uh, I want to hear, I want to, I want to hear your opinion. We're, we're two Canadian boys. In the heart of uh, in the nation's capital here in Canada, talking sports, and most of the sports we discuss is, I'd say, 90% American. Yeah, well, so I mean, that's we're talking about your stuff. We're talking about your stuff. Let us know. Get on, get on board. Yeah. Uh, do we have accents? Do our accents drive you nuts? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of driving you nuts, <clears throat> traffic circles. Oh, roundabouts. Yeah. So. Uh, how long do you wait before you lay on the horn for the guy in front of you who isn't getting in the circle? Uh, there, I, I thankfully don't have to use any roundabouts uh, on to and from work and to and from my, my family's uh, home. So, you know, but to answer your question, uh, my patience is nil. Um, so I'll, you know, if there's an opportunity for my, the driver in front of me to get in and he doesn't, I'm not, I'm not giving him a pass. It's like, Oh, well, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let's do it. I have one that's not far from my house. So I kind of come down, but this today on the way home, the guy was just sitting there and cars would be coming from the left-hand road but they're not in the circle yet. I'm like, why are you not going? And he would wait. And that person would go and just basically turn it right. So he it wouldn't go past him. And then he'd wait for the next one. I'm just like a little, little <laughs> honk, beep, a little beep, beep. And then it's beep, <laughs> get, <laughs> move it. Yeah, yeah. You uh, listen, buddy. It's not a street light. Oh, it's, it drives me nuts. It's, uh, I feel like the, you know, I'm watching a kid at the playground trying to get in the double dutch there, but there's no cars <laughs> yeah. coming. And just, just go, just go. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, I hear you, buddy. Yeah. So uh, recently on Netflix was released The Irishman, uh, a three and a half hour uh, movie, gangster style movie 
that you have seen, and I would love to hear your comments on that real quick. Well, uh, I was looking forward to this movie. I heard it was coming out two years ago, and, you know, Scorsese was putting in all kinds of money, and, you know, the fact that it's on Netflix, I think, uh, increased his budget, if I'm not mistaken, uh, but they spared no expense. They, they, what I found really interesting about the movie, aside from the storyline, which is so awesome, well, it's a true story, yeah. was the their ability to make the actors look young. Really? Uh, like very young. Yeah. They used, they used every filter imaginable to make <laughs> Pacino, De Niro and Pesci look very young on the flip side, as they aged in the movie, which they, which they did. And towards the end of the, the, the story, they are much older that he used the same type of filters to make them look old. So it wasn't necessarily makeup. It was actually, like CGI? filters. Well, you know, you've seen filters of people's people's pictures on Facebook and how they can make themselves look like basically wrinkle free. True. And True. then no offense, boys and girls, but when in, in real life, it, you don't look like you don't look like a bunny rabbit or whatever filter you've <laughs> used on Snapchat. Um, well, magnify that by a thousand. And that's what Scorsese used. So what an awesome movie. The movie itself, the plot was you know, it's it's your typical gangster movie, but it might be one of De Niro's best best films. Uh, I mean, for a, for a man in his mid to late seventies, I don't know exactly how old he is. Um, he's in every scene practically, like, and he's you know, there's not like a you know, he's not a stunt man by any means, but he's in right. every scene, and he's he's just it was so good. And if you love any of those three guys at all. Uh, three hours isn't enough. Like I could have kept, I could have kept watching. I was sad when it ended. It was, you know, it's Jimmy Hoffa's life, uh, the life and death of Jimmy Ho Jimmy Hoffa, and uh, you find Wait, out dies? exactly what happened to him. Did you just tell us he dies. That's Jimmy spoiler. Hoffa? Oh, okay. We don't know. <laughs> we never a, found him. Up for debate, really? We never yeah, found yeah. him yet. I think how he does, how it happens, and what happens, I think was has always been a mystery. But oh, um, I thought we still Frank Sheeran will tell was. you exactly what happened. All right. So on a one to ten, what do you give it? Oh, ten. I'm at literally, a t uh, it's a ten. It's everything you want in a mob story uh, with all the actors and some cameos that are going to make you laugh, and it's so good. Well, I'm sorry I missed the evening. It sounded like it was a lot of fun. You had a good group of people there. Uh, sounded yeah. like you had a pretty good spread as well. Well, we had some uh, egg rolls from the Golden Palace. We had Kurt's t special Thursday night tacos on a Wednesday. Uh, we had uh, some uh, <laughs> Malibu rum and pineapple juice, my my old favorite. <laughs> you remember those? <laughs> yeah, with or without so, grenadine. Yeah, all right. No, no grenadine, no grenadine <laughs> this time, but it was awesome. Um, good group of people. I'm glad we got to watch it as a group. Nice. We missed you. Well, I have to uh, set aside a weekend to watch that, so that'll uh, happen. Uh, Angela, I'll watch that. Uh, a little uh, uh, public service announcement to be aware of the uh, new phone scams that are out there. They're using local numbers, I guess, for... Uh, um, I don't know, that's not prank calls, but scam phone calls. I mm -hmm. had uh, somebody email me at work. They're like, hey, um, saw, saw your number, did a reverse lookup, you know, saw that you work for, uh, you know, the government and you're in procurement and I'm in procurement or I tried to get a job there. Anyway, uh, were you trying to call me? And I was like, one, I don't know who you are. Uh, 
too. I uh, said, it's highly unlikely that I called you since my work cell phone, I haven't charged it for a month. So it's, <laughs> it's been dead in my bag. And uh, this uh, lady sent me a screenshot with my number as like the caller incoming calls. I said, well, I said, that's amazing because I can't even check my call lock because again, my phone is still dead. I have not charged it, nor will I because I hate using it. But somehow they're using local numbers for different areas and, and trying to scam people. Anyway, that's a uh, public service announcement for uh, scamming phone calls. Are you federal employees more susceptible to that than the general public? Uh, as in like us being scammed? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I think a lot of the numbers are probably public. So that might be something. Um, I don't know. I, I did spend two and a half hours one day on the phone with, uh, with the scammer. One of those ones called me, called my work phone, called the, uh, you know, for the, uh, oh, the IRS or CRA is, uh, got a hole in your account and you're going to be arrested if you don't, uh, well, go to the store and get me, uh, a Bitcoin or an Apple gift card or something like that. And, uh, yeah, I had a boardroom and everything and I was just going back and forth with the guy and, um, whatever it was stupid entertainment at the time. Cause I'm like, you're going to waste my time and waste yours. And then oh, it was yeah. like two hours later, <laughs> like I got to go back to work. I got that same call uh, probably about two, two and a half or three years ago. It was this IRS scam. It sounded like an East Indian dude calling uh, remotely, but you could hear people in the back saying, giving the same Oh yeah, same shtick, you know, like the, yep. Yeah, like six or seven people on the mic. So I hung up the phone and I called the person back. I just did a call reverse or whatever oh, yeah. to get the number. And uh, I, uh, sorry, out of a hospital, but I went and used one of the a remote phone and I dialed it back and uh, somebody answered and I said, I, I played it cool initially. And I was just like, yeah, I, somebody from your office called me about, um, you know, I think I owed tax money. I'm really nervous about it. I was just talking to my dad and we're both really nervous. So we want to, we want to send you, um, we want to send it to you like right now. And, he's, and the guy was just like, it's like he hit the jackpot. So he started like, <laughs> he started giving me information on where to send it and send me an email. I'm like, okay, well my emails. And I just, I think it was like dirty, dirty horse, six, nine, six, nine, six, nine, nine, six, nine, six, nine. I was at gmail.org. And the guy you just hear a pin drop, and he goes, "All you hear is fuck you." You know, he hangs up. <laughs> it's, it's the best thing. It's so mad. Well, I, I'd yeah. be calling back in, like I was calling over and over, and th there must only be a handful of people in there because by the time I'd be calling in, it'd be like, uh, "Yeah, okay, sure." Like this, we know who you are, or whatever. I'm like, "Yeah, exactly. I know who you are." Like you're the same people answering the damn phone, <laughs> like to a point where I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna go right now," and I was doing like a, like what. <laughs> <laughs> like okay, I got it. And the guy's like, "You're an idiot." I'm like, I, "You're an idiot." So, if you think uh, I'm doing. There's yeah. your tutorial for on how, on how to humiliate uh, scammers <laughs> when they call you by Brock Fleming. I just, I figure if I'm wasting their time, then I'm taking time away from them scamming somebody else. Yeah, I like that. I like it. You're doing the, <laughs> doing the community <laughs> doing service service, whatever. Okay, That's amazing. Uh, moving on to actual uh, sport related topics. Unless you have anything else to go with, uh, you know what, dude? I that was uh, spectacular. Yeah, I, I actually, all jokes aside, though, there are a lot of scams, and uh, if your parents are elderly, um, you know, if they're not familiar with email or or you know, even answering phones, like I know 
I know a lot of people my mother's age who just don't even like just got cell phones really just to, as a as a precaution precautionary just to you know if they're out on the road or whatever, and they get calls, man, and they get and they get scammed. I got a home phone for Savina, and, I, and she gets phone calls, and it'd be like during the day when I'm working from home, like nobody's call, who's calling, and I pick up, and yeah. it's like a scammer. And now, Crazy. for those listening, if we're into this, apparently the new one is like they say something like "Can you hear me?" and they're just trying to make you say yes, and then that audio yes will then get cut up and whatever and used to say like you agreed to pay X amount of dollars for something and and go from there. So. If you ever get a call and somebody says, can you hear me? And it's not a number you know, don't say yes. You know, beat around the bush or whatever. But uh, that one is uh, the new one, apparently. I just have a work, like I don't have a, a landline at home. I just obviously use my cell. And uh, I, but I get a lot of those calls at work. So, you know, I don't know what kind of filter we have at, the, at my work, but it's crazy. Anyways, enough about that. Uh, okay, so uh, we want to start off with uh, a recent development in, in the NHL coaching world since Mike Babcock got fired from the Toronto Maple Leafs. He got fired, uh, rightfully so. Uh, they were not producing, not doing anything. But uh, after he got fired, uh, a couple of players had stepped up and told stories about... Um, I guess a form of abuse by Babcock. Uh, and the story that I heard in return in regards to Babcock was um, where he would ask a rookie player um, to rate and rank all of his teammates based on sort of the effort level that they give, whether it's in practice, whether it's in the games and it was supposed to be confidential and he, you know, and, it was used, I think Mitch Marner was the actual kid that, that this story was about. But Mitch Marner was uh, somebody who wasn't putting a lot of effort in necessarily. So even he put himself, I think, at the bottom. Um, but then Babcock actually used that list and told the rest of the team where Marner rated and ranked everybody. Which obviously, from a, you know, a, a, a rookie's perspective trying to fit in and hockey locker rooms are small um you know and you're trying to make an impact you're trying to gel with these guys and then you have a coach that's basically throwing you under the bus for how you rank these players you know apparently it brought him to tears like he was pretty upset about it you know that i just you just wouldn't expect that from a from a coach who's who's represented canada and I, the, I, the writing was on the wall the way they were playing. I think, uh, you know, from a from a purely hockey standpoint, they made the right, right move. Uh, oh, clearly, yeah. they did because they're they look really good now under under Shel, um, Sheldon Keith. But these stories about Babcock really surprised me. I mean, they TSN did uh, a cover piece on him a couple of years ago that made him look like a saint. You know, he was I think he was doing some charity work, and they had a whole interview with him, and he was crying about the inter like. He's been made to be this, like, the savior of, of hockey in Toronto, taking over for whatever the hell happened with Ron Wilson and those idiots. But, like, I was shocked to hear some of these stories, and I was shocked to hear how uh, not respected this guy is. I, I was shocked. Right. Like, Mike Commodore coming out and saying, yeah, now you're going to start hearing about uh, Babcock. And then, you know, as we know, I, I mean, the Babcock story kind of tells itself, and he's, you know, 
clearly they're better off without him. But this opened the door for uh, Akeem Alou. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. I think that's a, that's his name. Yeah. Um, coming out and telling a story about something that happened 10 years ago. I, you know, certain things that happen, um, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago. I think when you come out so so much further along after it actually happened and tell your story, it's still impactful. You know, like, for example, I don't know, if um, a coach told me I sucked 20 years ago and I come out now and say, yeah, you know what, he told me I sucked and it really screwed my career over, I don't think anybody would care. But the this particular situation, how it was, it was quite racist, how Bill Peters used the N-word, Right. Um, in a locker room directed towards somebody. And we're not talking about like 1980 here. We're talking like 2009, you know, where racial sensitivity was absolutely Barack Obama who just, just, just became president of the United States a year prior. Like for that to actually happen in an NHL locker room and then to hear some of the stories about this Bill Peters clown actually physically putting his hands on people on the bench. Rod Brindamore told a story about when he was an assistant in, uh, when Peters was an assistant in Carolina, how he'd kick guys on the bench. Um, he choked a guy. He put his hands on Brindamore. Brindamore, you yeah. know, he's the coach of the, of the, the, um, the Carolina Hurricanes. For him to come out and say, yeah, this happened. This stuff actually happened. It, it's shocking. And now it's sent, uh, you know, it's sent tidal wave across the, across the entire NHL. Did you hear about Mark Crawford today? No, I heard Dan Brent. Carcillo talking about Daryl Sutter when he's the, the Sutter, Kings and the stuff. whole Sutter family. The Sutter, well, yeah, like, well, well, you tell you tell what did we hear about? What did you hear about Daryl Sutter? Oh, just the the abuse, you know. And I don't know if I had the exact uh, um, scenarios, but that Daryl Sutter was who Dan Carcillo was pointing out with the Kings um, back in the day, and. Uh, you know, I, I was trying to look for the other Sutter, but the Sutters are hockey coaching royalty. You know what I mean? When you're 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 thinking of families that have impacted the game, like the Sutters are right at the top. So for sure, you know. And I wasn't sure where you were going with that when you said that, you know coming out ten years later. I thought maybe you're going to downplay it, say it wasn't going to be as impactful because it's waiting so long, but. Um, I was going to say, some things, these guys some things never forget. Lose, lose pa- impact. This one hasn't. Like, it's still, that is pretty disgusting. 10 years. And, you know, you could, you could see why a lot of it, if you can compare it to, like, women coming out, being abused in their workplace, but being too afraid to come forward, this is very similar to that, no? Uh, 100%. These are not guys. The guys that are coming out are not the guys. Commodore's not playing anymore. You know? Uh, Akeem is not playing anymore. Carcillo's not playing anymore. You know, it's just, even if you look at, you know, the further down the abuse spectrum, when you talk about Theo Fleury and, um, uh, help me here. Sheldon Kennedy. Sheldon Kennedy, thank you. You know, like, when did they come and come forward? They weren't playing Year, anymore. Years after. Right. So when you talk about that fear in your workplace, it's your job, it's your livelihood. And what you're most afraid of amongst everything else is that you will get uh, blackballed or some way your career will be affected by standing up to these people and coming forward. Because, I mean, there's a lot of money involved. 
Oh yeah. So you you almost you almost you almost have to wait till you're done, you know, because that's just the way society is. I, I, okay, I don't want to say society, but in those type of places, you think, well, if one coach is doing this, you know, maybe it's that every coach is doing it. So if I ride on one or come out on one of them, then all the other ones are going to be like, well, shh, I don't want to touch this kid because if I say anything or do something wrong or, or you know, I'll be more scrutinized or at least I know that he's going to say something. So you, you almost, even if you're doing not doing something bad, you almost want to distance yourself from it because you don't want any misunderstanding or mis something that to be misinterpreted where you make it makes you look like the bad guy too i don't you know, am i making sense here where you just kind of want to stay clear of it so i think oh for sure you know you, you almost have to to wait to feel comfortable enough to come forward because it takes a lot of confidence a lot of courage to come forward no matter when it is but it's a it's gonna be a little bit easier when you know that you're now out of their grasp. They can't affect your livelihood and your career because you're done. And, you know, I, uh, you make a great point. Like Brent Sopold came out today, former defense defenseman. I think he actually played a little bit of forward too. He's one of those conversion guys. He played with the Canucks when Mark Crawford was their head coach. And uh, he talked, he just came out today. Now his, his story was really just more of a, the way he tells it is like, Crawford was just a jerk to him. You know, he's, he used to call it, hey, Soapy, you're, you're skinny little, you know, uh, skinny little wuss. Um, he used uh, more choice words than that. But, uh, you know, you're you're a wuss. You, you're you're going to the minors to pack your bags. You're, you, you're not tough enough. You're out of here. And he would get on him every day, bag skate him every, after every practice for no reason. Told him he had to put on 15, 20 pounds of muscle to come back and get regular ice time. He did that in the offseason, took it seriously, came back. And Crawford still healthy, scratched him half the time and was never honest with him. Now, I mean, that's tough. That's just, is that a coach just trying to push the right buttons or is that a form of abuse? Like, I mean, I, right. you know, we, if you think about it, think about it from a job perspective, if I went to work and my boss every day told me, you know, man, you suck, you got to get better. You, you know, you're not doing your job. You're, you, you're better. I want you to come back after the summer and, uh, and, uh, I want you to know a, the latest version of Excel better. Otherwise I'm going to be on you every day. Like imagine the work environment for that and then you do it you work your butt off you come back and you still doesn't you're still not getting any cred well that's it i mean if he comes back and he's done everything he's asked him to do and then he's playing you say you know what that's tough love or whatever it was that's what he responded to so and look what happened he came back he did what he needed to do now he's playing the fact that he comes back and he's still not playing you know then that it really the results kind of look like it was just being mean because it still didn't help him but I don't know. I think there there is a line. Like different players respond differently to different styles of coaching, and I think there's a bit of a line between being just like a hard ass and trying to you know get your player to respond one way or the other. Maybe the you know you try not coddling them, but being nice and just tell them what you need to do, and it, it's not lighting a fire in his ass. So you start to be tougher on them, you know, and say, you know what, I'm going to start to um to go at his um ego 
a bit. I'm going to start taking shots at Zigo. He thinks he's better than he is. I'm going to take some shots at that him. That rarely works. It re- nowadays, it rarely uh, works. Doesn't work. 100%. It doesn't work. And it, it didn't work. When I was a kid, I had, I had very different, three different coaches, three different, uh, three different approaches. And, um, you know, the insult me till I, till I cry or get me to break. Nah, it never, it never didn't work for a guy like me who'd run through a wall for coaches. So, you know, it, it helped, you know, if you look at an organization, they have to do their homework when they're hiring these coaches, like what the GM has to do his homework by doing his homework. doesn't mean go check out every coach's game and you're like, you're scouting coaches, but it means go to the practices, see what, see what kind of the, get the, get a feel for the energy of the practice. How's your coach and treating your players? So if that kind of behavior was accepted, then it's on the GM then too. And then on, on top of that, the owner, like it's from the top down, you hire these guys, you know, yeah. and it's not like Interview the players. Fresh, out, fresh out the oven. Yeah. Talk to the players. Like these are the guys that are, the reason you're bringing a coach in is so that he can get the best out of the players that he's given Yeah, in a specific situation, season, week to week, who cares? But these, he's responsible for getting the best out of his players. So when you're hiring a coach, there should be a very big uh, emphasis on talking to all of his players in one form or another to find out, honestly, are you responding to this guy? Is he, you know, is he able to uh, convey the message that needs to be done to this generation of hockey players? And I think that's, that's faltered. I've heard the Scotty Bowman stuff, same thing. I've heard, you know, he was very tough and not really easy to play for whatsoever. But he's winning, so you have that. And if somebody comes out now and talks about Scotty Bowman, like I hear that, Scotty Bowman, the same conversation as I hear the Sutters, I hear the Babcocks, Peters, all those guys. But he's not coaching anymore. So it almost like loses something. You know, when we talk about a player coming out when he's done playing, well, it's it's also... I think it loses something when the the coach is already retired or out of the game too, you know? Yeah, no doubt. This situation where the players are done, but the coaches are still active. It's a, it's a a lot more media central. Well, there's a a player on, he, he remained anonymous. So I'm not, I'm not trying to remember his name. I'm just trying to remember who the team was who's a current player who refuses to talk about a coach who physically abused him. He won't talk about it. He just says it, it happened to me. The coach is still with the team and uh, with a team, sorry. And he doesn't want to name the coach because he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to start something, but there's a current NHL player has a story about a current coach and he doesn't want to go public with it. I'm sure that coach hearing this story in the media knows it's him and is probably begging or, or hoping to hell that this player doesn't come clean. But you know, I'm sure there's tons of examples. It's going to open the door, open the floodgates for more dialogue. I think it's, which is always really good. And, uh, they'll, everything will get smoothed over. I think the, the bad guys will get caught and hockey will, will move into a more healthy direction in terms of coaching. So I don't think this is like a doomsday for hockey. Hockey's got bigger fish to fry. Uh, it, it's game is broken. Um, so the whole, that whole other, that's a whole other conversation. That's we were a, got yeah, into a little completely. bit with Tasker the one time, but you know, the, from the coaches down, hockey needs to readjust itself. Yeah, and I mean, you talk about hockey not being in a dire strait, but this, it's basically going to be, I think some of these coaches are just around too long. So you're going to see the Leafs respond very well to their new young coach. 
the Sens doing the same type of thing. You're getting new blood in there, and these guys are able to get more out of their players because they understand them better. The old school guys are, are on the way out, and I think that's just going to be better for the game overall. I agree. All right, let's uh, take a quick break, and we'll come back with uh, some more, well, some Grey Cup and some NFL and uh, college football. Sound good? You got you it. You good with that? All right. One, two, three, four, five, six, two, eight. And we are back after a hot segment talk, talking about NHL coaches. Um, you know, I think we've uh, put a nice bow on that conversation. I think it's this is going to be this is going to end up being healthy for the NHL. Um, speaking of oh, Canada, sorry to interrupt Can- you, uh, Pierre. Uh, What's that? I, yeah? I did get feedback. I can't remember exactly who it was, but somebody told me to tell you to stop using to put a bow on it. Was it you? No, I think it was my father. <laughs> can we edit that last part then can i <laughs> i never want to disappoint rob it's like a disappointing santa you know because he kind of looks like santa no he does not he's a handsome man who Your says dad santa's is not handsome Your dad's the best he's jolly he's, a, he's your dad is the absolute best oh speaking of your dad we watched a great cup at your pop's yeah. And uh, we watched the Winnipeg Blue Bombers uh, mall destroy the Hamilton Tiger Cats 33 to 12. Um, it was 21 to 6 at halftime, and it just didn't look like it was much of a game by then. Um, Winnipeg's defense was just mauling, uh, suffocating. And I just didn't think we'd ever see a CFL team win the Great Cup solely on their defense. Did they put enough on offense? Clearly, they scored thirty-three points, but they ran the ball. They just ran over uh, Hamilton. Mm-hmm. I, I've just—I don't remember a team in recent history that you know went to the Great Cup based solely on their defense. I mean, we're talking about Zach Caleros and and Strevner, or, or I don't know how to pronounce his name. Close enough. Two two backup quarterbacks uh, leading their team to the Great Cup. I, I, I don't remember the last time Marcus Crandall's only the last quarterback to come to mind. With Calgary back in, you know, I want to say the maybe the early two thousands, uh, leading Calgary over uh, to a victory over Winnipeg, I believe. So, what what did you think of the game? Was it was it boring? Was it? Uh, it was clearly the field field conditions were a lot better than they were last year. Did you like uh, Hamilton's game plan? Did you like Winnipeg's game plan? Uh, well, I liked. I mean, Winnipeg were. Big underdogs going into the game. Uh, I think a, a large uh, portion of the experts had picked Hamilton to win going away. Um, you know, you talk about the backup quarterbacks. Evans is a backup quarterback for Hamilton as well. So Hamilton and Winnipeg both kind of got there on the strength of their defense. Uh, that morning, actually, I had a uh, I had to take Jackson to his hockey practice, and uh, Ken of Rare. So for those who don't know who Ken Avera is, he's a longtime CFL alum, uh, played for Ottawa, but also played for Hamilton for quite a while. Um, very engaged with the, the the local Ottawa Red Blacks team, does the uh, DJ and the Cowboy uh, pregame, postgame stuff for them. Anyway, he coaches the the team that practices at the same time as us all the time. Anyway, so I was t- chatting with Ken, and uh, we were talking about the Great Cup, and I asked him who he had, 
you know, now, of course, being a Hamilton alum, you kind of had to pick them. But he thought they had their chance to basically take it going away. And uh, what his reasoning was, was that Hamilton's defense, so how good Hamilton's defense was, and especially their secondary on how they disguise coverages. So he had had conversations with the Red Blacks quarterbacks. You know, again, granted, these quarterback grouping at, at the Red Blacks are not the smartest. You know, no offense. It's just what it is. But they were saying how it was very hard to identify pre-snap or even post-snap right away within that first split second of what kind of coverage Hamilton was running because they would they would kind of sit in like a tabletop style defense and then, you know, adjust to where they're going. So they're very well coached and they execute extremely high. So he thought that Hamilton's defense was going to give, you know, Caleros and Strivner fits in terms of reading and how to get the ball out and you know, more than likely turn the ball over. And I remember I said, yeah, that's great. I'm like, but if they can, if Winnipeg can establish a run game with Harris and actually start getting some movement there, then all this coverage hiding becomes almost a moot point. If you can't stop the run, now you have to adjust to this team. Now, was that going to happen? I didn't know necessarily, but I tell you, the Winnipeg offensive line and Andrew Harris dictated that game from the first snap, and that changed the whole outcome of it. Banks going down and getting hurt as the MOP jinx, you know, that didn't help either, but Andrew Harris and that O-line took over that game. And, you know, Winnipeg... Winnipeg's coming out of the West. The West is loaded. Way better. Yep. You know, and Hamilton, yes, they had a nine-game winning streak. Yes, they they looked very, very good, especially towards the latter part of the season. But, you know, they had to play in their in their conference or division or whatever, this, however the CFL breaks it up, you know, Ottawa and Toronto, um, two franchises that are really, really in the dumps. And a, Montre- a very surprising Montreal franchise who had a chance um, to make some noise this offseason. Or uh, this postseason, sorry. Yeah, they came really so, close. Yeah, they, you know that's a nice, that's a fun team. That's a a team to look forward to. I think I love Kahari Jones as their coach, but you know Winnipeg had a tougher road, you know, and going in to Saskatchewan and beating Saskatchewan the way they did by you know playing good defense and a couple of lucky breaks at the end, but uh, you know that was a team that you know I just would they were hardened and. They've been there before. Like last year, they were they were very close to making the uh, making the Great Cup again. So they got there. What, what surprises me is that you know you talked about both teams having their backup quarterbacks as uh, as starters. Well, Dane Evans really took over at like what week two or week three after Mazzoli got hurt. Yeah, um, they just signed Caleros off the scrap heap like three weeks ago. For him to come in and perform, Caleros performed really well. He was, you know, he didn't he didn't hurt them. He uh, yeah. he made some deep. He did, they took some shots down the field, got them uh, when it was third and one or second and one, they'd bring in Strevner and he'd run. So, uh, Lapolis is a huge, the CFL is a two quarterback system league. Like you need two quarterbacks. We saw that in Calgary this year when, uh, when Bo Levi went down, Arbuckle camp uh, stepped in and, you know, he played really well, actually. Um, you know, you see that every year in the CFL, you, that's that backup quarterback. He's going to come in there. He's got to get you two or three wins a year. It's like the, it's like a backup goalie. You don't see that in the NFL. The NFL, your starting QB should play all 16 games in the CFL. I feel like, you know, you need that two quarterback system. And 
They use it to perfection. They've got a bit of a dilemma now with Matt Nichols next year, and are they going to who are they going to keep out of those three guys? I think Nichols commands the the most money. Um, I think Strevener is kind of a no brainer. He he's like that Taysom Hill of uh, the CFL. I find you know the the Saints guy that comes. Oh, in. I know my fantasy point stealer. Anyway, yeah, yeah. that's him. So uh, you know, congratulations to them. Uh, they mauled the the Tie Cats. I think what's going to happen here though is that they're going to. Now they've done so well that some of their assistants are going to create some, create themselves some jobs. And, you know, Ottawa has a vacancy right now. And La Police seems like a name that comes up. Jason Moss just got fired in Edmonton. There's a, another name, although he had an affiliation with Ottawa a couple of years ago that ended, didn't end too, too well. So well, there's some yeah. Sh- and you know, we're always thinking of the Ottawa. So with Hamilton losing, I thought that was also Ottawa losing because Hamilton can't run with Evans. I think that was clear. At least he's not ready. So for them to then say we're going to trade away Masoli because I thought, you know, if Evans comes in, like you said, he came in game two or whatever of the season, played well, got him to the Grey Cup. If he wins the Grey Cup and plays well, I think at that point you have a team that's like, well, we got issues. We got a guy who's just taken us there, just won, played well, and is probably a lot cheaper. And then we have another guy who's been with us for a while but hasn't quite got to where we need him to be and is worth a lot more money. And we'd have to pay him a lot more money. So maybe you trade him. So I thought maybe Ottawa would be in line for a guy like that because they need some quarterback help. But with the way Hamilton lost and the way Evans played, I think that's out the window now. Hamilton needs to sign Masoli back. Um, And you talk about, you know, again, Evans being two games in versus Caleros who just got there a couple weeks ago. I'm still taking Caleros over Evans if I had a one-game thing because Caleros is experienced. He's been around the league for a long time. So maybe there's different terminology. Maybe there's slightly different variations on your plays and stuff. But there's a lot of similarities, and you can get away with that. Being able to then pick up on the defense and what they're doing, which I give that advantage to Caleros, um, I would have taken him before Evans if you were to say, you know what, pick a quarterback and go with him for this game. I'm taking Caleros in that one. Hey, listen. That's you know that's a fa- and that's a fair point. Caleros also was a former t- former tie cat and former rough rider, so he had something to prove. I think against yeah. both teams and uh, and proved it. So and he can throw the ball down the field. He's got a good arm. So that might be somebody Ottawa could look at. No, well, I mean, yes, but it better be for an extremely reduced salary. I don't think the guy's finished the season his whole career. Oh, I, yeah, I can't imagine he's good. Like, I don't think he's going to come out there and. And command a, like, you know, I don't think he he by any means led Winnipeg to a great cup. I don't think anyone would agree would agree with that. Right. He helped them win a great cup, but he certainly didn't lead them. So, you know, but he could be a, a guy that comes to Ottawa and maybe maybe Ottawa looks for a, a young Dane Evans type backup to groom for half a year and then and then let him see what he's got. You know, Ottawa's Ottawa's got some holes um, coaching, namely. So I guess it all depends on who, who decides to coach them and they'll bring their own guy in. So, yeah. And that I mean. You know, even that, when you talk about Moss and, uh, you know, some of the guys, La Police, who are available, you know, if uh, if we can't get along with our GM, then we're not even going to attract the right coaches. That's right. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting um, for our American friends. Uh, Keith Urban so, was the halftime show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, uh, I don't know a lot of Keith Urban's music, so I, I'm just going to go ahead and agree with you and say, yeah, it was great. It was. He played uh, yeah. most of his hits. 
I mean, you were sitting next to Mikey yeah. on the couch there. He was jamming away. He knows Keith Urban. Yeah, so it's always your brother Kurt. Kurt yeah. was rocking it too, and uh, and you and Jesse and your pops and uh, Carol. Ange, yeah, Ange and I saw him at Blues Fest there a couple of years ago. He's, he puts out a pretty good show. So I'll give him yeah, that. So sure. hey, it wasn't Shania Twain. It wasn't uh, what are the other crappy stuff we have? Headley. Uh, anyway, it wasn't one of those typical Canadian uh, halftime shows. Again, not knocking Canada, but for the Americans that are watching in, I really feel like the Grey Cup is our is the Canadian football's uh, opportunity to showcase our product, and I think it can be an exciting game for sure. Uh, last year, the field sucked, and our halftime shows sometimes, you know, I'm sure Americans are like, who is this? I have no clue. Um, but I think this year, I think the product was was pretty. Pretty good. Field conditions were good. Halftime show was good. Who knows? Maybe there's one more American fan that watches. Rick Campbell end up in Edmonton next year? Yes or no? Uh, Hamilton or wasn't BC on that list? BC interviewed him, but Edmonton's got a vacancy now. Does he end up uh, reuniting with Trevor Harris and Ellingson and Uh, Sir Vincent? I'd start rooting a little bit for the Eskimos. I'm not going to lie. Like yeah. those guys should still all be here in red and black and they're not. So, um, yeah, sure. I'll say, yeah, uh, that'd be a great fit for him. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Anything else, uh, for the CFL? I think that's no. about it. You know, thanks for uh, hosting there pops. Can, can I give tradition. it a, can I give the CFL a grade this year? <clears throat> the overall, the, the overall league. The, yeah, the league as a whole, and uh, I'm gonna give it a I'm gonna give it a B, only because I like it a lot. I like the CFL game, but <clears throat> Red Blacks have to improve. The East has to improve uh, for for the league to make sense for me. Uh, the West was was really really strong. I'm disappointed in BC's performance, considering I thought Mike Riley would come in there and make a change yeah. in the culture there. Um, but we need to see a team in in, in the Atlantic uh, coast there. Uh, it's got to happen. Uh, there's a holdup with, you know, the province not wanting tax money to go towards a, a new stadium. Figure it out, guys. Like, there's a, a couple of universities. Maybe add some stands. Something. Um, yeah, exactly we, how Montreal get, did. Yeah, and it worked out in Montreal. They're still playing the same place. Yeah. Fig, figure it out, guys. You don't need a whole. You don't need to a eighty thousand uh, seat stadium. You don't need something like Saskatchewan. You don't need something like Winnipeg. Not get yourself yet. something that fits your fits. Yeah, not yet. Get yourself get yourself a, a twelve to fifteen thousand seat place and fill her up. Prove that you can have a fan base and then go from there. And I don't know. It just it was. I thought it was going to happen next year and it's it's delayed again. I think so. Um, stop giving Randy Ambrosia a hard time. He wants this to happen. League like help him out. So I'm going to give it a B with a, a, a asterisk because I'd have given it a C otherwise. Because I want to see a team in in Atlanta in the Atlantic Coast, the Halifax Schooners or whatever. Yeah, I agree. I think most people want to see that, and I think that's exactly the way to do it. Jump on with the Huskies or whoever, and say, you know what, we'll pump, you know, a few thousand dollars into the stadium to add some a few thousand, maybe a hundred thousand or something like that. Add some more stands, so yeah, we now can fit fifteen to twenty thousand. But make the ticket hard to get. You know, don't make it 50000 where anybody can get a ticket for anything. Now you're giving stuff away because you're trying to fill it up. Just make it so Look it's at a, Toronto. 
look at Toronto, but the way Ottawa started and the way Montreal, like Montreal's before they added those stands, they could only fit probably twelve to fifteen thousand. Yeah, but it was a it was a good product. It was entertaining. People wanted to be there. Tickets were not easy to come by, and uh, you know, so they made it more attractive for people. I think the yeah. the East will love it. So, uh, but they need to get a tenth team for sure. Uh, it's always embarrassing when you talk about the fact they only have nine teams in the league. Is it, is it yeah. a league? It's almost as many as the conferences down the states. Anyway, that's the uh, want to get us. a team in Atlantic, te- Atlantic, or get a team in Quebec City. Could something, something. But us break time. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, And we're a back. Uh, so I think that's it for the CFL. Maybe we just put a little bow on that. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, sorry, Rob. <laughs> sorry. Uh, okay. I, I don't so. even know if that's the right. Like, am I even using that correctly? Put a bow on it? Yeah. Or is yeah. it to tie it's a like ribbon? You, it's like you wrap it? a present and you're done. You put a bow on it. It's good. It's okay. a kind of a Christmas theme thing. So, okay. Uh, yeah, you're fine. Okay. All right. American Thanksgiving. Food. Shopping, football. Not necessarily in that order, but for us, like you said, you talked about it earlier, you take part of the day off. I had a medical appointment in the morning on the Thursday, and I just put in for the whole day. said, I'm done, come back. I want to watch those games. Um, And uh, there were three interesting games, but, um, you know, the third one lost a little bit of uh, excitement. I found that was really boring, but Lions and Bears, okay? First game, I don't know if, did you watch it or not, but... I watched the second, I got home for the second half, and uh, what were the Lions wearing? The all grays? Ugh. It Uh, it would work if there was, if it was a blue helmet or something, but the off gray helmet with the silver helmet, it just just doesn't work for me. Didn't work for me. I I like, they have beautiful home ways. Well, uh, it didn't work for the Lions either. They took a, an early lead, but uh, they ended up blowing it. And I got to say, the Bears are favored five and a half, so the Lions did cover. But you have a third-string quarterback because Driscoll was hurt against the Bears' defense. Um, that's a tough go. It's a tough go. And I thought that that kid, uh, Blue, I think is how you pronounce blow, his name. Blow. Blow? Is it Blow, or are you just making me say Blow? No, I... I, they 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 were calling him blow on the uh, on the uh, during the broadcast. Uh, what's right. his first name? Uh, I don't know. Blow. Finish your finish your thought. I'll look it up. Yeah, look it up. Uh, so this kid's out of Iowa though, and last year that was one of the big uh, not Iowa Purdue. Sorry. So he was one of the biggest games last year where Purdue actually beat Ohio State to basically knock them out of the. Uh, the playoffs, which was great to see because I hate Ohio State. Sorry for my Ohio people. But um, anyway, I thought he played really good. I'm not going to lie. He, uh, I can't remember. What, uh, do I have his stats here? Yeah, 22 of 38. David Blow. 22 of 38 for 280 yards and two touchdowns. That's pretty freaking good for a third-string quarterback against the Chicago Bears. And it was a short week, so that means everything he practiced was all walkthrough this week. So it didn't even get like real full contact practice in. I thought he did. You know, he very good. He, he came out in the first half. He played most of those that those yards came in the first half. 
Uh, I think the Bears were just unprepared. Maybe they didn't know enough about this kid. Uh, but yeah, kudos to him for coming out gangbusters. Uh, the Bears are the Bears. You know, they're hanging in there. They're hanging in that wild card race. You know, they're in a jumbled mix with the Rams and uh, the Eagles. There's a couple of teams just hanging around at five and six, six and five. And uh, the NFC is pretty strong. You're going to have to really bring the heat to, to make it. Don't ask me how Dallas is has a uh, can host a first round game. The, the seedings have to. What do you think the seedings have to be adjusted, Brock? What are they right now? The Dallas game, but I'm just talking about like the Detroit being uh, sorry, not Detroit, but Chicago being seeded at they right now. I think they're sitting at five and six and uh, Dallas is the fourth seed because they're they're the number one in the east. Is there number one in the East? I'm trying to see if yes, I can pull how, that up right now. NFC. How's that happening? You know, that's it's an well, odd. You have to. Yeah, it's a. I see what they're doing. Like, you know, you have your your divisions and you win your division, you get seated. And then from there, you get seated based on your record compared to the other number one seeds. You do play these guys twice a season, so you kind of have to take that in consideration. But uh, I don't know. What, I think NFC is tough. It's cyclical. Everything's cyclical. So you know, one year the uh, you know the NFC East is kind of weak, but the NFC East has traditionally been very strong for a lot of it too. Like if you go back, well, I guess you go back a little bit further than I'd probably like to admit. But you know, at one point those were the strongest teams. So yeah. You know, then a team like the Saints would have a a hosting one where their record would be, uh, you know, seven and five or something like that. So again, it's cyclical. I don't think there's a lot you can change with it. Um, you know, unless you took away playing your division twice a season and you just had more, you just played more teams throughout the year. You just played whatever it is. It's what is it, sixteen, seventeen weeks? So you play seventeen different teams. <clears throat> Yeah. You know, and then you say, okay, now we'll just seed them accordingly. But uh, that's not I mean, what sells wild. tickets. I mean, that's not what creates rivalries. Um, and that's it adds more importance to the the games you're playing within your division because the fact that you know that's almost like playing, getting double the points when you beat somebody in your own division. So I don't think you can change it. But should Dallas be hosting? I. Anyway, we'll get to the Dallas game. Whatever, let's move on. Okay, the Bills in Dallas. They played after the Bills beat them. I took the Bills. So I made a little bit of money on them. Uh, but they won 26-15. I got to say, as ugly as Detroit's uniforms were, I loved the Bills' uniforms equally as much. I thought the Bills, all blue with the white helmet, were phenomenal. Love the uh, love the white face mask. Yeah, it's... Uh, switch to that. Probably one of my favorite uniforms there is a play so if you watch that game where it was a fourth and one josh allen went under center what's the worst thing that can happen when you're trying to do a quarterback sneak to get a a first down a short yardage you tell me fumble you fumble the snap that's the worst thing you can get blown up and stuff or one guy can get through the line maybe you can adjust where you're going but if you fumble that snap you're screwed while josh allen fumbled that snap Picked up that ball and still managed to get two and a half, three yards by yeah, sheer will effort. was awesome. And you could just I thought, tell. Uh, 
He was ready to go. I, I thought the referee was going to blow it down. Uh, you're always afraid of that because they're very quick on it. But that's, again, you know, that the same thing that people complain about. Like, if it was Tom Brady, I feel like it was blown. If it was Mahomes, Rodgers, Matt Ryan, I think it probably gets blown. But, you know, this kind of uh, Allen, uh, Lamar Jackson, uh, Russell Wilson, those kind of guys, Cam Newtons, it's not going to get blown. But the same thing where you say, well, it's good that they didn't get blown because he got a first down is the same reason that later on when he might be going down or might be close uh, and people think, well, it would have been a lot quicker whistle if somebody else was was a quarterback. But instead, my quarterback's taking a shot late or taking a shot somewhere else and he gets hurt. It's the same argument there. So the whistles are just slower for these guys because they can make things happen. And it's both good and bad. But in this, in this scenario, it was good. And uh, I thought that was, I don't want to say the turning point, but I think that was, um, that was when the Bills really believed they were taking that game. You know, the difference between, the, the, for me, the Chicago-Detroit game and then the Bills and the Cowboys game was there was, you know, there was a good, it was a good game, 24-20. You know, the, uh, the Bears came back and scored, and Trubinsky looked pretty good, but there's just no, there was no star power in that game. At least with the Bills and the and the Cowboys, there was there were some storylines. There were you know Cole Beasley coming back playing against his old team, and he made a he had a hell of a game. I know. Um, you know, uh, two two old franchises going at it, uh, who are both in playoff spots. Uh, you know, Jerry Jones, the whole Jerry Jones effect, and Jason Garrett, and there was some star power to those games. I mean, there was the Bears. I don't even know who Trubinsky's throwing to, so. There was some star power in that game. I thought the Bills came out with a really solid game plan uh, to go down the field, uh, in the middle of the field specifically, uh, with their passing game. Uh, they seemed to have found a, a weakness in Dallas's defense, and they they exploited it. And, <clears throat> you know, big kid can run, man. Josh Allen can run, mm-hmm. and he's a big kid. I don't think Dallas was prepared. I think that, I think if they could if you could take an eight and three team lightly, I think they took Buffalo lightly. They came out, they scored seven right away. I thought, Oh, this is, this is trouble. And then they just lost their mojo. And I, I really believe that the Dallas Cowboys need a change of coach. Just like I believe, uh, although Pittsburgh shouldn't be six and five and Tomlin's doing a good job, just keeping that thing together. I think those locker rooms need a change. Um, especially in Dallas. I, I just, uh, whether Garrett's lost his team, whether it's they just become predictable and complacent. I mean, what are we talking about here? Garrett is an offensive guy. So whoever the offensive coordinator is, Garrett has his fingerprints all over it. You know, you can't run the same offense for 15 years. And, and you know, the league is caught up, I think. And it shows. They're 6-6, six and six, man. That team is loaded with talent. Yeah. Uh, well, the star power in Dallas is is high. Their production has not matched that star talent. So let me ask you, the Bills-Dallas game, which team's true colors do you think showed? Do you think the Bills are actually a legit team, or do you think that the Cowboys are showing that they're really, they're not? Well, I would say, you know, the easy answer would be, like, would, would be I'd say both, both those answers, but I'm going to go with the Bills are the, are the legit team. And I say that because they play defense the way you need to play defense in today's NFL. 
You need ball hawkers in the secondary, guys who can make splash plays up front in the front seven. You need interceptors. You need disciplined guys who don't don't take stupid penalties. That's how you win in the NFL. It's the blueprint in New England. New England's defense is is the reason why they're ten and one. It's not because of their offense, and I think their offense has gotten so much credit over the years. But it's their defense. That secondary in New England is is uh, looks a lot like the secondary in Buffalo, or or vice versa. And you know, uh, imitation is the finest form of flattery. I think the teams in the uh, AFC East are starting to copy, at least on the back end, what New England does. Buffalo's Buffalo's for real. That that secondary is yeah. good. You know, they've got Edmonds and Hughes and Star Latulale, who I really, really like um, as a free agent pickup from Carolina. Ed Oliver was all over the place. You know, that team is the team is good. And Sean, uh, not Sean McVay, Sean McDermott is is a great young coach who took Buffalo to the playoffs with Tyrod freaking Taylor. You know, that's a good team in Buffalo, man. They're only getting better. Yeah, I agree. I think... Uh there's there's no glaring weak spots in terms of their defense, and that's I mean that's how teams are built, right? the The GM for the Bills is not building a team, and the coaches are not building a system to beat the New Orleans Saints. They're not trying to beat the Minnesota Vikings. They're trying to beat everybody in their conference because of the way this is laid out. So they are everybody's building something to try and compete and beat with the New England Patriots. That's what, you know, that's that's the top dog, and you have to be able to beat them. And that's, you know, even if you'll see somebody like the Bills finally beat the Patriots to get to the Super Bowl, and then maybe they get beat because they're, you know, they're just not built to play whoever they're playing in the Super Bowl. You see it all the time. Anyway. You, you'd think uh, Miami, New York, and Buffalo would have started the process a lot sooner. <clears throat> Uh, that process being, how do I beat New England? Like they have an advantage over every other team in the NFL because they see New England twice a year. You'd think they'd start creating a blueprint to beat New England, but all they've done over the years is fiddle around with different coaches and different quarterbacks and different systems. And like, let's go. And you know, it took, it took Buffalo. Buffalo might be the first team to get there. Well, Buffalo's not, they're only a game behind two games behind. Sorry. And they got, they got New England later in the year, New York, Miami have not had uh, coaches stick around for long enough to really dive into it. Where McDermott will will have start to get a bit of a tenure where he's seen New England. Now the thing too is I'll give all the respect to New England and Belichick. They're not from year to year. New England is not doing the same thing. It's not like they continue to beat them the same way. That they could say, okay, I got to figure out how to stop this. It's just not there. Belichick and those guys cater to whatever players they have and they adjust systems to make sure they go with their strengths. And also, I think it's to keep on the toes. That's why they're so good when they get to the Super Bowl and into the playoffs. Because when we see them in the playoffs later, that's not going to be the same damn team we see all year where that's just squeaking yeah. out wins because they're squeaking out wins while playing, I don't want to say vanilla, but they're showing a lot of the same looks, but they're still winning. And then when they get to the playoffs, I guarantee you, you're going to see some, not, well, the quarterbacks that they're facing are going to see defenses that are not what they've saw they've seen uh, throughout the, the regular season. That's, that's just what they do. Yeah, no, I'm well with enough. you there. I, 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 think, I think you're bang on with their defense. Uh, I do think, though, that there is cause for concern 
on their offense. They, they, they haven't looked like the well-oiled machine. I know they're, like you said, they're not showing all their looks and, I'm talking but, but more defensively. Offensively, I know they're not showing their looks, but I'm 100% in agreement with where you're going with this. Continue. They, they don't. They don't look dominant. They don't look like the dominant team. You know, they. They. I'm gonna say they squeaked by Dallas. It wasn't a high score. It was 14 nine or something like that. Like there's shit. There's weather. some cause for concern that. on the offensive end, uh, as far as I'm concerned. And they're ripe for the picking in that department. But their defense is is as good as I think I've seen it in. Ah, uh, jeez. I mean, their defense in the early 2000s was really good with, you know, when they had all those guys in the uh, Lawyer Malloy and Ty Law and those guys mm, flying around. I love those guys. Yeah, Bruski and uh, William McGinnis. That was a great defense. This is probably just as good, you know, just as good. So mm. it's it's going to be very interesting. Um, People are arguing uh, that they're like the 85 Bears. Well, they're playing like it, you know. Uh so that game, I think, showed a lot of what Buffalo is, and it showed a lot about what Dallas isn't. And it's funny because Dallas has all the talent in the world. I, I'm not sold on Dak Prescott. I'm not sold on spending a ton of money on him. Ezekiel Elliott, uh, he shows flashes but then disappears. Amari Cooper, the, the book on him was his motor in, in uh, Oakland. Otherwise, they would have never let him go. You know, he kind of comes and goes. I like The kid I like the most on their offense is Gallup. He's a fun. He's a fun receiver. Um, Jason Witten's doing all he can. I think he's regretting leaving the the box. But like, you know, they got problems in Dallas. And for a team that has a stout O line and a quick D line, it's it's funny they they shouldn't be six and six. No, and I think the biggest thing out of this game is not even what the teams end up doing, but I think the confidence that the Bills took from this game and taking it in Dallas. Uh, I think is going to resonate for the rest of their season and a bit of a playoff run. I think the same goes for the skepticism and probably some of the lack of confidence that now the Cowboys are facing and the question marks and the uh, the internal uh, dialogue in terms of that locker room of what the issue is and trying to figure that out, I think is just going to, going to continue and it's going to hurt them moving forward. But, uh, but anyway, like Jerry Jones said yesterday, though, I mean, they, you know, they, they do lead the division and they don't, I don't know, they don't play. I don't think they play anybody terribly strong in the next few weeks. I'm sure they've got Washington or New York again. So I don't know. I mean, they, they're going to, I feel like they're going to win their division the way the Eagles are playing. So I don't know. I, they're going to squeak in. They're going to end up hosting a playoff game. And who knows with a veteran team. Maybe uh, maybe they can get riled up. Maybe they maybe they've got a, a case of the Blues where they know their their division isn't very strong. And anyway, well, they they're finish. a funny team. Uh, they're hard to they're hard to. I'd, I would if I'm as a Pittsburgh fan, I would I would love to have their receivers. I would love to have Prescott right now. You know, so like they're blowing an opportunity to really take this division by the by the horns and, and win. But Philly, the Philly's hanging around. And now the now it's going to be a dog a dog fight all the way to the end. So well now they got um, the, they're at Chicago, they host the Rams, then they're <laughs> at the Eagles and they host the Redskins. So you know Bears, Redskins, Eagles, all within the next four games. So there's some big ones. The Redskins should be should be easy, but Philly's been playing really good. Chicago, you know they pulled out one in Detroit. So it depends on which team shows up. And uh, same with the Rams. The Rams are, I mean, the Rams should be beatable. But anyway, it's uh, it's not an easy 
last uh, last few games for them either. So we'll see how they they finish out. But um, there's some question marks there, and it's not about the on paper talent. It's about the uh, the in the locker room stuff. I think so. That's why I think that's why I think Dallas's issue is that head coach, and I don't think Jason Garrett is a cancer. I don't think he's a bad man. I don't think he's a bad coach. I just think his time is up in a in a big market like Dallas. They, I think they need a a guy who can get the boys motivated. So, um, before we get to the last game, there's a couple of really big games on the docket Sunday. Uh, Baltimore hosts San Francisco. It's at one o'clock. It's going to be a fantastic game. Uh, that that's going to be. We talk about you know. You mentioned who's uh, who's going to be show their true colors. I think at after that game we'll know if San Francisco is legit. I don't think there's any question. Baltimore is legit. They've scored forty five points the last couple of weeks. They put a thump into to New England. I think this game will show us exactly how good or how mediocre San Francisco is. I agree, and I. <clears throat> I've been proven wrong all season. I'm waiting for them to show the true colors because I, I just didn't think they were at the level they're at. I didn't think the competition they were they were getting was uh, worthy of a lot of praise. But I got to say, they've looked good every time they've been out there and they've been playing some okay teams. This one is going to be extremely difficult. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping, well, whatever. I'm hoping Baltimore smokes them so I can be like, see, but the Niners are good. Hey, and I'll tell you, Pittsburgh and Cleveland, uh, wow, Pittsburgh sits in the last wild card by themselves right now. And don't ask me how. They've done it with Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges all year with no receivers and no running backs. It's a miracle. And I, I've been on Mike Tomlin for years, but I got to give the man credit. How are they six and five? How are they in a playoff spot with all the turmoil and uh, the offseason stuff with Brown and Bell and losing the first three games of the year and, and really be looking bad in some of these games? And no, like really no offense, none. If you look at all the offensive units in the NFL, they might be the worst. Not, uh, mm-hmm. Offensive line aside, name me a worse skill set position team in the NFL, the worst than Pittsburgh. And you can say Miami, you can say the Bengals. The Bengals have Boyd on the outside. They've got Mixon, a, a decent runner, Bernard. Uh, the, even I'd, I'd take Fitzpatrick over Duck Hodges and M- Rudolph right now. They're yeah. six and five. And if they win, they're seven and five, two games behind Baltimore. There'll be a game behind Baltimore if they lose tomorrow, uh, if they lose Sunday, sorry. They play Cleveland, who is five and six. If Cleveland wins, they they take that wild card spot, and they'll they'll be a, a whatever a, a tiebreaker ahead of Pittsburgh. It's a huge game, Pittsburgh and Cleveland. It's a huge game. My brother's there. Nice. My brother has fifty uh, yard line tickets. He went up by himself um, to get away from you know just life and uh, and spoil himself. That's the way he that's the way he rolls. He's a lot like me, but um, I hope he has a good time. He's literally right on the fifty yard line. Um, a few rows, rows up, so he's living the living the high life up there. So that's going to be a huge game. The New Orleans Atlanta game, Brock. I don't know if you caught any of it. There really isn't a lot to talk about. The no, only, the, even... the the biggest highlight I can I can draw from that uh, game is how good uh, the front four of New Orleans is, and how awful 
how t- just god awful um, Matt Ryan's left side of his offensive line is. He was sacked ten times yesterday, and he literally he has no time to throw. It didn't matter who he was throwing to. Calvin Ridley. It didn't matter. He didn't have no time. He had no time. They tried to run the ball. They got stuffed. There was nobody at the game. The half the stadium was empty. What a sad state of affairs for a team that was in the Super Bowl just what a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, Matt, I don't have it in front of me, but he threw for like 312 yards or something like that. Like, he still had, uh, you know, decent passing game. Really had, I don't know, maybe 80 or 90 yards. But other than that, I mean, for the score, and you look at the stats and who's scoring and who's getting points, even from a fantasy perspective, the game was was lackluster. There was just nothing there. No excitement whatsoever. Watching that game last night, it is not Matt Ryan's fault they are 3-9 and nine or 3-10. and 10. It is not his fault. He has no time to throw. And when he does have time to throw, he's, you, you see what kind of numbers he could put up. He put up 300 yards on his back. It was awful. And you could, uh, I think it was, I, was it uh, Al Michaels and Collinsworth doing the game? I can't remember who were doing the game, but they, even they were like, look, Cameron Jordan's getting to, the, getting to the quarterback at will. He had four sacks. The, the left tackle and the right tackle are, are atrocious and they need to fix that stuff. They're, they're three and 10 because of their offensive line, because there is some talent there on offense. Um, defensively, they're, they're porous, but they held, Hey, they held a, a high powered new Orleans offense to 26 points and they got three onside kicks in a row. Did you see that? No, I didn't watch any of it. They got, they got the first one. There was a penalty. So they had to redo it. They get the second one, score a touchdown. They're down by seven. Then they kick a third one. And they, and they get it three in a row. So they're down by eight and with possession of the ball at around midfield. And they just, they weren't able to move the ball. He got sacked to end the game, but um, wow. I've never, I've never seen that. It was perfect kicks. I'll have to uh, YouTube that one. Cause I wouldn't mind seeing that unless there's injuries. Jake Matthews is their left tackle. There's and, injuries. And he's pretty good. So um, yeah, I have to see what the injuries are. Again, I have nothing to contribute to this game other than I was following Camara. <clears throat> in terms of fantasy and the saints for an, a high powered offense against the Falcons defense, the Falcons defense, I'll give them all the credit in the world for the last few games have been playing too, because even holding the saints to 26 points, if you're giving up all these sacks and not getting a lot of movement with your offense, it's still pretty damn good. When I look at the, yep. the, the stats. So uh, Quinn's, you know, hanging on by a thread in terms of his coaching job, I'm sure. And he's got these players playing for him, but um yeah, I got nothing else to contribute about that. Uh, we were talking real quickly about mobile quarterbacks. And uh, so Michael Vick has a top seven mobile quarterbacks that are his top seven. And I just, without, we're not going to go into a lot of, you know, these players and, and uh, you know, the history or their current stats or anything like that. But I just wanted to see who you thought might be on his top seven. Steve Young? Yep, at number five. Lamar Jackson. Yep. Probably number one. Nope. No. Okay. Well, let's. I'll, He's I'll number put, two. Fran Tarkenton. Nope. Cordell Stewart. No. 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 Wow. Mobile quarterbacks. Randall Cunningham. Yep. Number four. So how many have I had? I have answered three. Uh, so you got Jackson, Cunningham, and uh, Steve Young. Steve Young himself. Does he put himself on the list? Yep. Okay, so there's four out of seven. Yep. 
Are there uh, the last three? Are they all? Are they er, new era guys, or, or is it the eighties, seventies, nineties? Two are new era currently playing. Uh, one's hurt right now, but um, Cam Newton, Cam Newton, and uh, the other one is still playing. Uh, potentially fighting Lamar Jackson for the MVP award. Russell Wilson. Yep, and the last one, um, an old uh, Eagles quarterback, Syracuse Orangeman. Donovan McNabb? Donovan McNabb. So his wow. seven were McNabb at seven, Russell Wilson six, Steve Young five, Cunningham four, Cam Newton three, Lamar Jackson two, and himself at number one. <laughs> oh, you know what? I, that's not I, that's not a bad. I wouldn't I wouldn't put Jackson number one yet. He's I. No. Nope. You know, Vic had a, Vic had a long career. Like Vic, you know, I think before, post or pre dog fighting, he had uh, he he was he was untouchable for a few years in Atlanta. So no, yeah. It, that's yeah. If Jackson plays four more years at this level, yeah, I'll put Jackson up there, but I also I don't like know if- Jackson's system is, uh, is better for him. Like if Vic had played in a system like that, you know what I mean? Like Vic was still, yeah. you know, just in a system where you're supposed to throw the ball and he had to make something happen where Jackson has a lot of designed RPO type stuff and misdirection. Sure. And, uh, uh, who'd they just play? They just played uh, Houston, I guess. Yeah. And uh, their defense was basically, I think there's quotes, and I don't know the exact quote, but they are just like, we we don't know, like as a defense, at the mesh point, I we have no idea who has the ball. Is it the quarterback? Is it the running back? Is it the receiver that's running by? Like, they just do it so well, we have no idea who has the ball. A- Eric Weddle said that. It was, it was yes. uh, the Yeah, Rams. that's right. Yeah. That's 100% right. And... Yeah. uh yeah, you say, well, shit, what, uh, what do you what do at that at? point? Yeah, and by that time, he's blown by you. Yeah, um, uh, I, I would maybe have put Mahomes on that list over over Cam Newton or McNabb. No? No, no. not yet. Again, what? not yet. I mean, shit, he's only played one year. And even then... Cordell Stewart? Yeah, Cordell Stewart's not even in the conversation. Oh, because uh, Cordell Stewart took a team to the Super Bowl, baby. And so did Trent Dilfer, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a quick break, and uh, when we come back, we'll uh, we'll finish off with Brock's uh, upcoming weekend in the NCAA. The football is uh, winding down. The one uh, headliner that just came out a uh, a Cardinals Arizona Cardinals Josh Shaw, a DB. He was on kind of injury reserve most of it. Anyway, he's been suspended through 2020 for betting on the NFL and multiple well, occasions. He's no Pete Rose, so who gives a shit, really? It's true, but you know he's not the only Play one. All the, no, he's not all the right. only one. Play all the pro line you want, pal. We'll be right back. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And we're back with our final segment, Brock's weekly NCAA pigskin roundup. Before we get into that, the Raptors won again tonight, and they are sit at 14-4. and four. They played the Orlando Magic, and Orlando is wearing their city version uniforms. Uh, Nike took over the, the uniform contract in the NBA, I think, three or four years ago, and they've slowly been uh, creating three or four versions of uniforms for each team. One's the legend uniform, one's the city uniform, one's their regular home and aways. Um, I'm not sure if you've noticed a lot of the highlights, Brock. Sometimes you see a game where no one's wearing their whites, 
It'd be like a yeah. red versus a blue. Kind of cool. Um, colors, the colors, I think, are distinct, and they they're okay, they're okay with it. But the uh, if you've seen some of these city jerseys, they're wicked, man. I know, and I, one that comes to mind is the Miami Heat's. Is that the Miami Vice one or no? The, the Miami Vice one. So last year they went with a pink and a and a black, yeah, or yeah. black with pink. One of the two. This year it's uh, baby blue with pink Ooh. and black trim. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's going to be the nicest one in the league again this year. They're so nice, and it fits. It fits. It looks like the Miami Vice sort of logo, and it fits Miami, right? Blue skies and blue water and all that stuff. And um, Toronto has some pretty nice cities. They wore them uh, the other night. Um, I saw that the, the black nuggets, and gold. The the black with the gold, yeah. Yeah. It's kind okay. of a combination of the old and new. Um, anyway, Orlando was wearing theirs tonight, and it's awful. It's like black with orange, and it just has a big O R L on the on the. It's awful. They look like the they look like the Phoenix Suns. It was. Yeah, fail, Orlando. Anyways, uh, have to check that um, out. Phoenix Suns Toronto. don't uh, usually strike me as a fail in the uniform category. I like the. It just didn't work. Stuff, it doesn't but... like they're, they're blue. They're blue. Like, why are you going that color? I have no idea. So, ah, true. Anyway, enough about that. Um, Brock, you're gonna take us out here with some NCAA football. We, uh, is it a big weekend? Is it a? Are things shaping up, or what's going on? <laughs> oh, it's a big weekend, my friend. We call this rivalry weekend. Okay. And uh, it's go time. It's the last regular season game for all these uh, teams. And uh, yeah, oftentimes these are the the most intense in terms of uh, from a student spectator perspective because all these games are... Uh, with other schools that you, you kind of hate. So right now, actually, we got uh, South Florida playing US, UCF, which is like 90 miles apart. And uh, you know that both schools dislike each other. That being said, UCF is up uh, 24 nothing. But tomorrow, tomorrow, here's your day, people. Okay, here's your day. College football watching. You're going to get up. You're going to have your breakfast. You're going to maybe go to the gym, <laughs> get your stuff out of the way. Because at noon, it's Ohio State versus Michigan. One of the oldest rivalries in college football. Ohio State is favored minus nine. And if you ask me, that's an easy bet because I think Ohio State smokes them. Michigan has no business being on the same turf as Ohio State. Am I hoping Michigan wins? Yes. Do I think they will? No. And then I think uh, Harbaugh's job has to be in question after this season. Uh, I don't think he's beaten... Actually, I think I saw a stat somewhere it was seven in a row they've lost. Anyway, um, with head coaching positions in one of those two schools, you're very much judged on whether you're beating the opposition. Um, and uh, Harbaugh has not had much success against Ohio State, and that will continue to be a thorn in his side. That's noon. After that, get up for a pee break, grab another snack. It's Alabama at Auburn. Auburn has a chance to play spoiler to Alabama's playoff hopes. Alabama's favored three and a half. At 3.30 as well, the other Big Ten game. So for those who are Big Ten fans, it is Wisconsin minus three at Minnesota. The winner of that game is going to be playing Ohio State in the Big Ten championship. Wisconsin's already played them. Wisconsin already lost. Minnesota had a fluke loss, but they beat Penn State earlier. So... 
I'm hoping Minnesota wins. I want to see Minnesota take on Ohio State. I don't know if Wisconsin's good enough to even compete with them. Um, they didn't the first time, and I think you had your chance, and you kind of blew it. Uh, those are the 3.30 games, so those both are on a 3.30. 8 o'clock, you have Oklahoma at Oklahoma State. Canadians, tune in. Watch Chubba Hubbard face off against Neville Gallimore. So Chubba Hubbard is should be in the Heisman talk, but because his team is not uh, in a playoff contention, that usually rules him out, but he is uh, by far the most prolific rusher in the NCAA this year. Canadian from Alberta, Neville Gallimore plays nose tackle, de- defensive tackle for the Oklahoma Sooners, number 90. Um, so they legit go head-to-head. And actually last year, I think they they literally went head-to-head, hit each other, and I think they were both on the ground for a little while. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Good old Canadian uh, boys. Good old Canadian boys, yeah. So uh, uh, that's a game to watch. That's 8 o'clock. Oklahoma's favorite 13 and a half, mind you. And then uh, uh, Florida hosts Florida State. Um, hate the Seminoles, hate the chant, hate everything, hate their colors, hate their uniforms, hate their everything. Anyway, uh, Florida's favored minus 18. I'm never confident in putting a, a bet on a, a minus 18 with the Gators necessarily, but um, that is a 7:30 game as well. So that's the game I'll be watching while I flip back and forth between that and the Oklahoma, Oklahoma State game. Other than that, um, after this, it's it's a championship weekend. So next weekend is the SEC championship, which would be uh, LSU in Georgia. That's already set. Uh, the Big Ten one will be Ohio State versus whoever wins. Um, I have to check what the other ones are because nobody cares. Pac-12, <laughs> it would be Oregon and somebody. Who else? I don't know. I have to check that out because they're not really meaningful now. So I'll see. I don't think they're set necessarily yet either. Anyway. We'll take a look at those, and then we can actually kind of look and see if it was a six-team playoff or an eight-team playoff. You know, we can give you what that eight-team playoff would look like. We'd have the five winners, and then we'd have three at large, uh, which we could probably figure out on our on our own. Um, the playoff rankings, Ohio State has jumped to uh, number one. And to be honest, the AP poll and the coaches poll both have Florida at eight. But for some reason, the playoff rankings have Florida at 11, has Penn State ahead of Florida. Anyway, so there's a couple. And anyway, it doesn't make sense to me in that uh, that sense, but I think the coaches got it right and the AP have it right. The Florida should be around eight. So we'll see how they finish. That's the weekend for the NCAA football, Pierre. And uh, it's going to be a good one. Well, uh, that is uh, your NCAA <laughs> insider. I don't think – I can virtually guarantee if we – scoured the country and you know of uh, all NCAA football podcasts that are Canadian content talking about American NCAA football I don't think there's a single person out on the radio right now in Canada talking about NCAA football except exclusively on the UC the so UC I hope that you're enjoying Brock's segments you could the passion comes right through the microphone um I can see him and his earphones are Florida Gator earphones, by the way. Uh, there's a bag right right behind him. It looks like a hockey bag. I can't really tell. It's orange and blue. Um, everything is just Gator everything. He's got Gator flip-flops, I think, too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Right? Slippers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I yeah amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I'm a fan of blue um, and orange. 
Brock, I'm on my way to Montreal tomorrow to watch the Canadians and Flyers. Uh, three o'clock game. Oh, nice. Montreal has lost six in a row. Uh, they play a back-to-back. The first it, tomorrow is the first of a back-to-back. So I don't know if they're going to go with Price, Kincaid, or Kincaid and Price. I would hope it's a Saturday game. I hope they play Price at home. The back-to-back, they're on the road on Sunday. So um, I'm crossing my fingers to see Price in Nets, even though he has absolutely shit the bed um, the last few games. I know he's his defense has held him, you know, uh, hung him out to dry, but there's some saves he's got to make too. So um, anyway, we'll see what happens. They're 11-9 and nine and uh, on, on a sort of a downswing. Toronto lost tonight uh, 6-4 to the Buffalo Sabres. Um, Sens lost so, 7-2. Yeah. Pardon me? The Sens lost 7-2 as well. To Boston? To Minnesota today. Oh, they, but they have not this beaten Minnesota, I think, in two years. I was watching some of that game, and uh, Minnesota was all over them, but Ottawa took the early one nothing lead. So I thought, oh, you know, we never know. And Ottawa was playing with a lot of heart. They got the kids moving around, which was great, but then I got home, and it was 7-2. So, Yikes. Anywho. All right. Well, big boy, thanks again. This has always been a pleasure, and I hope uh, everyone listening, uh, you know, I hope you enjoyed our American Thanksgiving version of the UC. Ah, I'm so jealous. I'm on American Thanksgiving. Have a safe trip to Montreal, Pep. And we're going out uh, to the late John Mann, lead singer of uh, Spirit of the West. Oh, broke my heart. That's where we're going. Thanks, buddy. Have a good day, everybody. You have to excuse me, I'm not in my... Take me home